Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Freestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Ting, and today we have a very special guest. Uh, I've had the honor of getting to know this this man when he came in as into Binghamton as a freshman, and he has done nothing but impress me from spearheading the start of a new club to leading several in his own respective position within those clubs. Uh, please help me welcome Mike Messina. Hey, man. How's up? What's up? How you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Um, so let's get started. Um, so we can get started on just an introduction. So maybe just tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So hi, guys. My name is Mike, Michael Messina. I'm currently a sophomore here at Binghamton University, friend of Derek's. I'm studying physics right now. I'm in a bunch of clubs, a bunch of Asian American cultural clubs, as well as I'm trying to start my own self-defense club here on campus. Anything else you want me to cover? I don't uh, know. I feel like your intro was pretty good. It sounds like my mom wrote it. Like nah, me up not, not at all. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you got yourself in, involved in all of these different things, being so new to campus, like mm-hmm. just coming in as a freshman last year and then now you're a sophomore this year. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a little bit of background about myself. I am Korean American, but I'm also adopted. So that means that my whole family is Italian, actually. And so the neighborhood I grew up in, Levittown, Long Island, also very uh, white in terms of their demographics there. So coming into Binghamton, jumping into the Asian American community specifically was definitely something I wanted to focus on. And so as soon as I got here, I made it a point to put myself out there, go to as many general interest meetings for clubs as I could, and latch on to any kind of leadership positions, any ways to get my foot in the door. I really wanted to jump in on that early on. And so again, just talking to people, applying for whatever I could apply for. And then once I got my foot in the door, just showing up, pushing, doing whatever I could to really push the envelope in terms of whatever that club's mission was. Awesome. I know we have like, we actually have a very similar background. Mm -hmm. I come from upstate New York. uh, And then my entire community surrounding me, everyone in school was white. Uh, we had maybe like five Asian kids in a class of six, seven hundred. Mm-hmm. So same thing with me when I came into Bing, uh, wow, five years ago. <laughs> when I came into Bing five years ago, I kind of was very surprised to see so many Asians around me. And then I also got very involved with uh, all of the Asian orgs and took on sort of as many leadership positions as I can, so I, I can totally relate to mm-hmm. how your thought process was when you came in. Um, so you joined in to, I know I had the honor of being your president at, at last year yeah, when you came yeah. in as a freshman, um, where you became our freshman, freshman ambassador at that time. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your thoughts going into that position and then how you took that position and basically went into two other e-boards and, <laughs> and a few few more a few more things from there. Yeah, yeah. So you were my president during the run in SACE, which is the Society of Asian Scientists and Engineers. Again, that was so that organization specifically was a crossover between my mission to become more culturally involved with my roots, with the whole Asian American bit of SACE, and also to progress myself professionally because I was planning on being a research scientist or physicist at that time. 
And so Sace mm -hmm. seemed like the perfect fit. I actually remember pretty vividly my interview for that freshman position was during parents weekend we call it at Binghamton mm -hmm. and so my parents me being a freshman they were so excited they were pumped to come up for freshman weekend or for parents weekend rather and they said oh my god you have an interview on parents weekend don't they know it's parents weekend they didn't realize no one really cares too much about parents weekend here but... <laughs> yeah that's, that's very true uh, <laughs> we, we were we were busy holding interviews that day yeah yeah and it went well i think i came in there were great vibes and by the end of the year again definitely nervous at the beginning having to put myself out there talk to new people throw myself into this environment where i had n really no idea what was going on like you could read about it on facebook but until you're actually in the thick of things in the thick of the community mm -hmm. you can't really tell so once i got my bearings going through the year there as well as through all of my other orgs so for example my freshman year i was part of Asian Student Union, which is another club here, and also Asian Outlook, which is a student-run magazine here. Going through those, getting my bearings, and getting a feel for, again, each one's mission, the community, what kind of value I could take from those communities, and what kind of value I could really give back. And so after that year, everyone was great that I talked to. It then became a choice of having to focus on which organization mm -hmm. and which path I really wanted to dive into. An example of that choice being Explorchestra. It's another student organization on campus. I got myself onto eBoard for that as well. That's an, an orchestra that's run by students, played by students. We write all of our own music. So it's all student written music. Awesome group. I was in charge of video and audio editing. Unfortunately, I was in way over my head in terms of doing all that kind of stuff. And so I wasn't really able to give too much back to that community. And then I also, wasn't really prepared for that sort of time commitment continuing after freshman year because those were long rehearsals that kind of a thing so it was a really tough decision but i knew i had to step away from that community mm -hmm. in order to really dedicate myself to these other communities that i'm now a part of such as SACE or such as asian outlook now those of you who don't know mike personally the more impressive part about him is that he did he took on all of these positions as a freshman and then this past year, he was the president of Asian Outlook. And then next year, he'll be, so the year 2019, 2020, he will be the president of the Asian Student Union. And something that I didn't know was that Explorextra, I didn't know that everyone wrote, you guys wrote your own music for that? Yeah, so yeah. That's completely student run. Yeah, wow. 100%. Very, very impressive. So you do all of these things, mm -hmm. it's great. Um, you know, you keep keep busy, you keep involved. How do you stay driven during mm -hmm. all of these times? Right, right. So, uh, of course, balance being a huge, huge factor in that. Not killing yourself in terms of all the, the workload that you put on yourself. Although that, you know, we like to say that. We always put, put a little too much on ourselves. I'd say motivation and inspiration, definitely things that I personally meditate on a whole lot trying to sort of categorize all of the things that drive me always listening to people who seem to have it figured out so i know podcasts and self-development kind of go hand in hand these days listening to big personalities everyone who's going on to be a joe rogan podcast i know you're a big ed Milet guy mm -hmm. i'm also personally a big um gary vaynerchuk fan taking their wisdom, taking their quotes, and then recontextualizing it for your own life, your own philosophy, for your own truth is crucial. And realizing some sort of mission for why mm -hmm. you do things. 
So for me personally, at least at this point in my life, my mission long term is to teach people in this country how to make themselves happy or even better than happy, how to make themselves fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So in my family, I feel like a lot of them have become victim to the American dream almost in that they're obsessed with material things and working a certain nine to five set career path and then coming home to a family where they expect it to be perfect and are not willing to put in any sort of emotional work or even realize that there's any emotional work to be done. I think that there is a huge problem with that narrative, with the, again, American dream that we've promised everyone in this country. Not that there's anything wrong with working a nine to five or being satisfied coming home to a family and having that be the main driving factor in your life. But in terms of the people around me, I feel like a lot of people have not realized that there are other options and that they really need to look critically at their philosophy in terms of how they're living their life. That is my goal, is to make people realize that there are other ways to do it other than the pre-prescribed script that has been set forth for them. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes along with my mission as well, with helping people basically mm -hmm. break out of their shells because so many people are basically following exactly what society tells them. And you mentioned a little bit about being happy and being fulfilled. What do you think are maybe one thing or three things that are the key to unlocking happiness, regardless of the situation you put yourself in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the thing about happiness, and I feel like you'd agree, agree with me, this seems to be something that a lot of people have come to a consensus on. Happiness is an emotion. Happiness is, by definition, a fleeting feeling. Uh, fulfillment, though, is much more long-term, much more sustainable, much more foundational. And so for me personally, the three main ingredients for having a fulfilling life, first one is having meaningful, deep relationships. The second one is having a benevolent impact. Third one is having an enjoyable process. And I'll throw in a fourth one. There's a secret fourth one. Um, nice. That one would be challenges. Mm -hmm. If I could form a life with all four of those things, that is my definition of winning. And we spoke about this when we did our podcast for, for Asian Outlook, uh, soundcloud.com slash Asian Outlook, if anyone's <laughs> interested, Inside Outlook Podcast. We spoke about the enjoyment of the process. And when I talk about those four things, or at least when I think about them, I'm not using them to get to any particular pay place, not really. As long as I can be doing those four things, I'm already winning. And that's a big revelation that I had to have in terms of setting forth my undergraduate college career path where I'm trying to think, oh, do I do a double major in this context or do I do a minor and a Bachelor of Science in this context or what kind of plan am I following? Ultimately, if I'm doing those four things right now, I can be winning in life mm -hmm. right now. I'm not necessarily doing this to set myself up to one day be happy 10 years into the workforce. I can be doing those things right now. Yeah, exactly. I feel, I feel the exact same way. Um, there's no reason to delay fulfillment, delay happiness, really delay anything, any of these positive feelings until a certain mm -hmm. like circumstance that you set for yourself. Because I know a lot of people, and especially in today's society, like to say, oh, I'll be happy when I finish my 10-page paper. Or I'll be relaxed once I'm done with finals. Or I'll be 
content i'll be happy once i hit like once i make six figures in life and then what about the entire you know the entire uh time distance between right now and when you reach that goal Mm -hmm. like are you just gonna suffer through that are you just gonna um, are you just gonna feel sad about it during that whole time because it's it's very limiting to basically put a timestamp on all of these things that you can feel so i i know you just went over some of it and <clears throat> i was thinking about shifting gears a little bit mm-hmm. in this conversation because i know we, we talked about a lot about motivation and inspiration um in our podcast in in the asian outlook podcast and i was wondering because for me i use dance as a sort of driver i use mm-hmm. dance to always pull myself back always like you know whenever i dance i'm happy it's it's my passion it's something that i love to do and i know that you also have something like that for you mm-hmm. so kind of bring me through what that is and how you got into it and what it kind of does for you yeah yeah so i am a lifelong martial artist 100 percent. every meaning of the word that's me um it started off very early on for me as a quest for culture first. So like I said before, I am a transracial adoptee with air quotes. Uh, that's the big fancy term for it, I suppose. When I was very young, I want to say maybe five or six years old, my parents thought it'd be a good idea to get me into my Korean roots early. Just in case later on I felt like I had some sort of disconnect, I would have some rooting in that culture already. One of the ways they did that was getting me involved in Taekwondo. That's something that I've done all my life. I trained under Grandmaster Sal in Staten Island, on Staten Island. So if anyone's in that area, I'm looking for a teacher, definitely hit him up. I wish I knew his last name, but (laughs) I guess just Google Grandmaster Sal, Taekwondo, see if someone comes up. Anyway, after a while though, um, and I moved, I went to a new school on Long Island, Martial Arts America. I believe now it's called Go For It Martial Arts. Um... After a while, I felt like I had plateaued a lot, and I learned pretty much everything I needed to learn, especially in terms of... So after it became a quest for culture, it then became a quest for confidence, where I was never the most suave guy in high school, middle school. I was never super athletic guy, but when I went to Taekwondo, that was something I was good at. That was something that gave me confidence. But like I just said, eventually the challenge there really plateaued i felt like i wasn't learning a whole lot anymore and after five six seven years at the same dojo even though i wasn't perfect and even though there was still so much potential left in that school there was still you know so much left for me to learn and i was just slowing down that learning process being in that same place i was able to remedy that then by going into teaching and instructing Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just me being thrown into classes, it was structured and eventually I was flown out with the whole martial arts team, with the whole family, down to Texas with the United Professionals program. We went to a whole seminar, a whole conference, and we got you know officially certified, there was training, it was awesome. We met a whole bunch of like-minded people. And that's where the sort of self-development growth mindset process for me personally started. Similarly to you, Derek, mm-hmm. I know, because you said you went to some sort of conference and you heard this incredible speaker, Ed Milet, talking. Um, when I went, there was this one dude running the conference. I forget his name, but maybe I can send it to you and you can put it in the description or something like that. Yeah, for sure. He loved quoting this one Zig Ziglar thing about how, you know, success is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. And he kept going on in that sort of a headspace in terms of being confident and giving value 
and giving back to your community and don't worry about the money. The money will come. Just do things the right way. Mm-hmm. And I never realized that when you think about martial arts school owners, these are guys that have to run a business. They have to be in tune with the people around them because they're teaching them things. And they also have to be super fit because they're technically, by definition, athletes. They also have to be cultured because they're martial artists, especially coming from Long Island, doing Eastern martial arts. That was a big point there. Mm -hmm. So I didn't realize there were so many high performers within that community in every sense of the word high performer. And so going from there, I started to really dive into self-development podcasts and personalities online. And that sort of helped push me to gain that sort of growth mindset Mm -hmm. that has really helped me evolve on my own ever since then. And from there, uh, my journey in martial arts has then eventually become what it is right now, which is more of a quest for truth. So being a Taekwondo practitioner by by, um, trade, I realized that a lot of the things that I was learning not super practical in actual self-defense situations. If you're really good at Taekwondo, sure, you could handle yourself in a self-defense situation using just Taekwondo. But for most people, that's not gonna cut it. And so it really, martial arts in general became an outlet for me to look and find what actually works. Not listening to what other quote-unquote experts have to say, but making that distinction for myself and then tailoring it to my personal mindset, my philosophy for what martial arts means, and being able to recontextualize any kinds of martial arts teachings into my own life and my own style. And that goes for not only martial arts techniques, but again, also life philosophies and life advice coming from anywhere. Mm-hmm. So is that sort of your your reasoning and your, your drive for creating this self-defense club right now? Mm-hmm. That's definitely part of it. Even bigger than that though, it's just dangerous to have people walking around teaching traditional Eastern martial arts that were built for the time where the world was all about swords and you know, wooden armor. And they're saying, oh, this will work to defend yourself in a modern context. That's just not true. That will literally get someone killed potentially. So that in my mind, 100% had to stop. Someone needs to come in here and teach that truth just for the sheer practicality of it, of, hey, let's not put people in danger. On the the more foundational level, yes, it is about finding your truth and finding out what works for you, honestly expressing yourself, as Bruce Lee said, that sort of a thing, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like our backgrounds are actually very, very similar. Yeah. <laughs> your, your martial artist background is kind of how I took dance in a way except I never had formal training for dance mm-hmm. and sticking with martial arts for so long and being so dedicated to it that's that's awesome um I just want to ask do you think that or how has martial arts and your your passion for martial arts helped you in other aspects of your life mm-hmm. so again the big theme that I'm going to go back to is that quest for truth And you can always, you know, again, take advice, but make it your own in terms of how you apply it to your own situation, your own, again, life philosophy. More than that, that is really something that gave me confidence early on. It also sparked another sort of tangentially related passion for me, which is teaching and pedagogy, if you want to put a a technical term to it. So after receiving all of that in martial arts instructor training, I vividly remember going back to my next semester of high school and then realizing, wow, a lot of these teachers don't really know how to teach. They don't really Mm -hmm. know how to 
keep kids engaged as they speak. They don't really know how to put this information in context with the other information in which they are talking about. And so that has really helped me moving forward anytime that I had to explain things and communicate things with people, being able to get to the core, to the root of whatever idea I'm trying to convey or telling someone the main tenets of what value I'm trying to bring about by doing X, Y, and Z. So communication is definitely a huge one. And again, that being a whole side passion, I'm now considering teaching as some sort of career path um, in education. So that's definitely another thing that's sort of sprouted from my martial arts experience. But there's also something to be said about the whole belt ranking system. And so with jujitsu especially, uh, Brazilian jujitsu, that is something where it is performance focused in terms of whole curriculum. So you're not going to be going into a Brazilian jiu-jitsu studio and talking about forms mm -hmm. or breaking boards or performances or anything like that. You go, you learn techniques, and then you, quote, roll with people or you're basically sparring them. And that is a microcosm for the feedback loop that is life or that should be life, where you go into the studio, you have an idea. Does it work? We're going to find out. If it doesn't work, you better change it. If it does work, keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And as you get better and better, life will tell you that because you'll keep winning in matches and eventually you'll get the next belt or the next rank. And as you go deeper and deeper and moving up the ranks, you'll realize that people around you, there are also levels to them as well. And so even though a few weeks ago or a few months ago, you were the top of your class, a little bit later as you advance, you realize that there's so much more to learn. And it keeps you humble, it keeps you hungry, and it keeps you in a growth and learning focused mindset. So what it sounds like to me is jujitsu has, uh, the path of jujitsu or one takes when they go and practice jujitsu mm -hmm. and takes it seriously is similar to the path of basically pursuing life, like unlocking life and being like going through figuring out if something doesn't work or not, being beat down and coming back and then, you know, progressing through life in that sense and, and realizing that there's so much more out there once you start looking for it. Yeah. So I feel mm -hmm. like there's a there's a huge connection between what you just said about jujitsu and, and what you said about uh, or what uh, uh, life in general. So making that comparison, um, how do you think someone who doesn't have jujitsu doesn't have martial arts um doesn't have dance how do you think they should go about looking for something to do like looking for basically finding a passion mm -hmm. for themselves so that they can ground themselves and also use it to help them get further in life as we have ourselves right right finding and settling on the passion is probably the biggest challenge if you don't already know what it is you enjoy doing or are passionate about doing if you don't have something you can 100% put yourself behind and get behind if you don't have that I definitely say put yourself out there experiment with as much as you can especially if you're within Derek and my own age demographic then you are very young and you have a lot of time even if you're working your way through college even if you feel like you've pigeonholed yourself in terms of your career path there's still so much time for people like us to experiment and find something that they're truly passionate about. Once you have that, even before that, once you have this mindset of, hey, failing is okay, I should be failing because that means I'm learning. Once you have that, the rest will come. 
just put yourself out there with that mindset. Mm -hmm. And even if you're not super confident, as you go, confidence will come. Even if you're not skilled in whatever area it is that you're trying to fulfill, that skill will come as long as, again, you have that mindset. I can very clearly partition my life from left of bang or before the time where there's this big explosion of a growth mindset and to the right of bang, which is everything after I develop that growth mindset. Once that happens, everything else on the road is obtainable. Before that happens, you don't even know there's a road. You don't know what direction you're going in. Once you know that you can continue to make yourself better and you won't be knocked down and stay on the ground, you know you're gonna keep fighting. Once you have that, even if your quest is to even find your passion and find what it is, just know that you can keep on going, keep going at it. Once you have that, there's really nothing that can stop you as long as you realize that you have to be patient and give yourself enough time, it'll come. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, I know, so for both of us, there's been that like one click, like that mm -hmm. one thing that basically put us on this road. And I know for a lot of people out there, it might be hard for them. Um, regardless of whether or not you necessarily have a passion, you might be like before that bang, you might be wandering right now, figuring out where that road is that mm -hmm. you want to take. Um, so, I mean, I'll share a little bit of my thoughts, but I wanted to hear yours too on maybe uh, what is the best course of action for one to take. Like, mm -hmm. so what can they do right after listening to this podcast mm -hmm. that can help them put them on their path? Right. Right after this, uh, again, depending on where you are in your sort of self-development journey, take an inventory on your life and figure out if you're happy, figure out what it is that is making you unhappy, whether it's something that is directly affecting your life or if it's something that's missing from your life, and then trying to figure out where to go to get those things. Um, having a plan, and this is the sort of uh, contradiction that we all have to play with ourselves, setting goals Full, with the full knowledge going into it that you might change those goals and never reach them, especially early on. You have to be able to experiment with that uh, mentally. So, you know, look at the people and the relationships you have in your life. Look at the profession or the process that you're undergoing every day from day to day in your life and see if those things make you happy. See if you're being challenged at all in a good way. See if you need more challenge. See where you can get that challenge. And look at the way other people are doing it as well. Don't necessarily copy exactly the way they're doing it, but look at them for inspiration and especially for context in terms of what's possible. So, so many people feel like they get home from work and then they don't have energy to do anything else. And this has to be it. If they could just realize that there's so many more hours, so much more energy and so much more creativity they could put into life then you could get so much more out of it. And until you see people who are actually doing it and actually putting in the work and changing drastically the way that they live their lives day to day, until you see that, it can be really hard to envision something for yourself. Once you see other people being creative, it makes it so much easier to be creative for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I just wanna like say that basically some of you some i want to emphasize some of the points that you just made um basically it's going back and evaluating your life up until now and realizing like what makes you what makes you happy what makes you upset and then 
adjusting those things in your mind mentally so that you can be able to overcome them the next time so overcome the sad time or overcome when you're upset and then be able to grasp the happy and fulfilling uh, moments and be able to kind of replicate that as you go on and then i just want to add a few more things about um, your network your connections and a little bit about what mike just said about basically seeing and following people that have made it and i want to plug in the group that i'm a part of right now which is the arte arte syndicate because this group before i joined it i was on a good i was on a good path i was developing myself i was focused on making myself better each day reaching the next level but it wasn't until i joined a group where everyone is ridiculously high energy working towards their own goals and just driven um the change that i've had in this past year of being in the group has been drastic and it doesn't mean you have to join this group it means that you should be be looking to put yourself in a situation where the people around you are pushing you constantly to do better um not to do worse and one thing that i'll say about uh, college students is we tend to find ourselves in a community or a situation where everyone's kind of down on themselves everyone's kind of complaining about the next project Mm -hmm. to come the next the homework that they're stuck on and while i do get stuck on homework uh homeworks and sometimes i just don't do them (laughs) but you know (laughs) pick and choose yeah Yeah. um sometimes i just give up because I need to focus my time on other things, but not saying that you should not do your homework because that is important to some of you, not important to others. But what I'm trying to say is uh, too many of us put ourselves in in an environment that is very negative overall, overall negative, and it brings you down to that same negative level. Um, And then the one thing that I would encourage you to do uh, is kind of go back and look at the people that you surround yourself with and figure out who talks about ideas and who always gives off that positive energy and kind of move closer to them to bring up your own energy as well. And then once you bring up, once your energy level gets brought up, then it becomes much easier for you to help other people bring their energy levels up. But in the beginning, it might be very difficult for you to do it yourself. And that's why I encourage you to find people who are already doing it or already have done it and kind of not not um, basically absorb the energy that comes from them and use it to uh, increase your own energy. And it's not like it's not in a way of you're using them it's not in a way of anybody's using anybody it's in a way of uh improving your network and increasing your increasing the amount of connections that actually push you forward in life and yeah do you have anything to add on that yeah you need to like you said before you're not leeching off someone you're reverberating with someone you're feeling their energy and then you're giving it right back to them you're having everyone feed off of each other gas each other up uh in a rising tides raise all ships sort of a way so that is super important even if you're not 100 percent there mentally in terms of your mindset 
you know, as you're working on yourself internally, one super practical, uh, super changeable immediately thing that you can change in your life is the external, is the people that you're around. So yes, that is a fantastic place to start is taking inventory of the people in your life, of the relationships, seeing which ones are going to help you progress, not just professionally or in terms of networking. Networking can be sort of a dirty word in some people's minds, just in terms of, again, those relationships and the kind of mindset that you're surrounding your own mindset with. They really rub off on each other. Yeah, so if you guys didn't know, Mike's much better at talking than I am. <laughs> no, <laughs> but... Mike just talks too much. That's what Mike <laughs> um, oh, man, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> oh, I was going to bring up uh, this point, which is a lot of things in today's society are viewed as kind of negative. Mm. So the words networking, the word recruiting, the word, um, I'll focus on those two words because I can't think of any other ones right now. But <laughs> so many, so yeah, many yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot. Uh, <laughs> so, networking is there's this connotation behind networking where people are like, oh, aren't you happy with who you know already? Mm-hmm. Or uh, why, why do you go out and look for other people to hang out with? Like, are you trying to basically leech essentially off right. of them? And then the same thing with recruiting, but in a different sense, because recruiting, when it comes to a uh, corporate job, is very normal. Uh, It's like acceptable. But when recruiting comes to a business sense or a um, either network marketing or or any sort of other uh, marketing uh, way or form, it becomes a very negative connotation of you are recruiting me to benefit yourself where it doesn't make too much sense because there's it's the same recruiting in both cases but society has dictated that uh corporation recruiting equals good other marketing recruiting equals either scheme scam or or bad like Mm -hmm. bad in general and i think we need to kind of get ourselves away from it and be able to evaluate these sort of bad and good things ourselves so taking in the knowledge of people who are in it and listening to the people who are successful in it but also being very careful that you're listening and trusting the right people make sure you build up a trust with the person that you're listening to beforehand and then the second thing is when it comes to recruiting or networking you have to be careful about listening to the people who are telling you to stay away from it because the people who are telling you to stay away from it, majority of the time, they've never even experienced it. And all they've done is looked up something online or heard something from a friend. And But those aren't exactly grounds for whatever thing it may be to be a bad thing. Um, so another thing that I encourage you to do, maybe not immediately after the podcast, is to go out and when an opportunity comes to you, kind of evaluate what the opportunity is. Um, so there's another thing, uh, door-to-door, sales, door-to-door sales is a something that, for some reason, a lot of people look down upon it these mm-hmm. days. Um, it's creepy, you know, you don't have, <laughs> people aren't supposed to come up to your door and knock anymore. God forbid someone's hustling a yeah, little bit. Yeah, but door-to-door sales is actually still making a, a huge part in sales in general mm-hmm. right now and it's still making a shitload of money um and but it has this very negative connotation behind it even though it's not really bad like there are people that obviously make it bad there are mm-hmm. people that make any good thing bad but 
there's nothing bad about door-to-door sales, but society has made it seem like door-to-door sales is such a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And like there's there's so many other examples out there, but you just have to be able to evaluate what it is that you're looking at before you either jump into it or say that it's not for you. Um, and another thing that I want to bring up is um, these influencers. So following a influencer such as Gary V or Ed Milet, Andy Frasilla, these people are people who are recognized by a very large amount of people as a force of good. And it's very safe to say that you could follow these people kind of blindly without needing too much information on them to know that they are good people. And then whoever they recommend is also, there's a very high chance of them also being a very good person. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a lot of people on social media out there that will claim that they can increase your following by 100,000 within two months or that can increase your revenue by six figures within X amount of time. These people are people that you're going to need to do your research on before you really like follow them as an influencer because these some some of them have almost no grounds and are just trying to get an extra buck and Arte itself is it's it's way more than a mastermind but it still has that mastermind background mm-hmm. of you're in a group and then you share ideas you get lessons and there's a lot of other masterminds out there i know ryan Stuman has a mastermind dean graziosi has a mastermind uh, grant cardone has his own mastermind the 10x ambassadors and all of these people are but all of these people are people that i trust although i'm not in all of their um masterminds because it, would cost a lot of money they they are people that i overall would trust with my money and would trust with my education but there are a lot of people out there that are creating these masterminds that have very little reputation Mm. almost no reputation but they have a lot of followers and followers does not really mean anything unless it's like genuine followers because this the, the number itself a lot of people look at it and they they kind of either use it and people fall in love with it so like for example when you go to an instagram page and it has uh two million followers then you're like you know wow this Mm -hmm. this page is legit but then you look at the engagement and it's like 200 300 likes and you're like okay where the numbers go and that's like something you have to watch out for in in terms of following someone because some of these people are not what they say they are and it's very dangerous for you to follow them because it might end up costing you a lot of money and you might not get anything out of it either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, are you working on, like, I know you've been posting more on social media recently. Mm-hmm. Have you, are you starting to go all in on it? Is that something that you're trying to pursue later on? Or, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, so... In terms of personal brand, like for me, Michael Messina specifically, I haven't been going all in at all. I've really been using all of my student organizations, my clubs, um, as a field for sort of experimenting with that sort of thing, with social media, with branding. I feel like at least in our space, in the, on the student organization level, no one realizes the impact that something like social media can have. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk gave a talk at some point, I don't know when this was, he basically said that your cell phone is now the remote control for your life. 
with that being said, if you could go all in and really develop the part of your team that works on social media and really changes their philosophy, you can not only like grow your business and grow, you know, your numbers, your followers or whatever, you know, to a certain extent, arbitrary metrics, you can give value, you can spread ideas, you can make the world a better place just by improving your Instagram game. Um, mm -hmm. One thing that I'm hoping to do with the Asian Student Union here at Binghamton is expanding our social media chairs, the portion of our team that handles social media, and also revamping our philosophy, where our Instagram page is no longer going to be just pictures of the student officers at this cool event, although we love doing that. We love showing ourselves off. Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it is now going to be an extension of our mission because getting people in the door to our in-person events, that's fantastic. I love that in-person one-to-one interaction, but they spend 10 times the amount of time on their screens than they will ever spend in front of my face. Once we realize that, we can really push the message. And again, the message isn't, Asian Student Union is awesome. The message isn't come to our events. The message is, hey, we have certain kinds of social issues we're trying to talk about. Hey, we're trying to spread this culture, this heritage, this knowledge. We can leverage social media in such a profound way. And yet there's this stigma that goes around with it. Similarly to the way you were talking about door-to-door -door salesmen and everyone always going, oh, everyone's trying to make a buck or these kids are going crazy on their social medias and they can't talk to people, blah, blah, blah. This is the future. If you want to make your kid go and play outside 24 seven, cause you're afraid they're going to become a hermit or whatever, that's fine. But just know that 10, 15, 20 years later, when they're out in the real world and they're adults, no one's going to be outside playing stickball. Everyone's going to be online on Facebook, Instagram, whatever the next big thing is. That is where the future is. And so you can definitely work both sides and work yourself in person as well as online, but do not for a second count out the value that social media can have. Everyone's saying it's bad for humanity. It's really not. It's an opportunity for humanity. Most people are taking that opportunity in the wrong direction, but a few of us, a small portion of us, are taking it in the correct direction, in the benevolent direction, the self-improvement direction. So once you realize that, it becomes this incredible portal of influence and of potential that you can use. And that I hope you try to start using a little bit more than just posting memes and things like that. Although memes are great. Yeah, they, yeah. they truly are. But they what really you are. just said is is amazing. Like everything that you just said about social media is basically on the dot. Mm -hmm. um, I can't tell you how many people that I've met through social media that have been such blessings in my life now mm -hmm. that I would have never in a million years have talked to if it weren't for Instagram or Facebook. Mm -hmm. And these platforms are there for you to grow like unfortunately a lot of people use them for the wrong things mm -hmm. but if you use it for the right things you can use like you can grow so much from just instagram just mm -hmm. facebook or i don't even know what other real social media forms platforms are out there anymore i don't does twitter do people still use twitter people do i know oh. but plenty of people do i'm sure i i, I only use t twi twitter right now for um memes <laughs> my entire twitter feed is oh so completely off off topic mm -hmm. wendy's tweeted out oh my the God. other day that if um that their tweet got two million likes mm -hmm. over two million likes they were gonna bring back spicy chicken nuggets genius and when i checked yesterday it's 2.2 million nice so 
uh psa for all of you out there listening spicy chicken nuggets from wendy's are coming back soon wendy is a marketing of, genius she's a they, marketing mogul it's very very incredible at market. they're so good at marketing mm-hmm. like the way they use social media is so innovative from how social media used to be used mm-hmm. and that put them so far ahead of everyone else because right. of the way because of how daring they mm-hmm. were to use it that way yeah and like quote-unquote innovative my friend in high school ninth grade was doing that kind of crap you know that kind of tone of posting and humor but the fact that they're willing to now evolve and emulate that that's what makes it innovative and so a big piece of art whether it be dancing or something more systematic like martial arts creativity originality it's confusing to a lot of people you can quote-unquote steal things and ideas and inspiration from other creators or other doers other movers and make it your own and recontextualize it to your own personal brand personal philosophy personal place in life and so for example you might find a dancer that you like to emulate their style i know for me personally uh tj dillashaw is this fighter before i started watching him and after i started watching him there was a huge difference in the way i moved around the ring in terms of my sparring ability and people have commented on it people have asked me what happened what prompted that change and it really is not being afraid to be inspired by other people the way other people do things mm-hmm. absolutely it has been such a pleasure talking to you today it's been an amazing conversation before we end mike tell us where we can find you on you know every social media platform there is i am at artist messina m-e-s-s-i-n-a on instagram and you can find me on facebook michael messina m-i-c-h-a-l-m-e-s-s-i-n-a also please follow my organizations online on facebook and on instagram that is sace which is society of asian scientists and engineers that is the binghamton asian student union and asian outlook magazine at binghamton university awesome Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. And thank you guys so much for listening in. You guys can find me on social media at uh, The Rice Hero, D-U-H-R-I-C-E-H-E-R-O. On Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, all all of of the social media. Yeah, all of the platforms. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening in again, and we will talk to you next time.